to the Mainline Podcast. I'm Adam Jacquez, alongside all-conference podcast hosts Tyler Burton and Corbin Polson. Guys, we are 53 days away from kickoff, and Norman, how are we feeling? I'm good, guys. Football season uh, is approaching very, very quickly. Uh, we've got media days kicking off tomorrow down in Dallas. Open championship gets underway at St. Andrews on Thursday, so a couple more days to get through before the last major championship golf tournament of the year. Tigers in con- Tiger will be in contention. I'm calling it now, uh, and I'm heading to Vegas this time next week, so it's going to be fun. I'm excited. If I was a betting man, I uh, would have lost the bet that you still had the stash going this week, so props and to you. I- I trimmed it back just a little bit. It, it was kind of growing out on the sides. It almost looked like a handlebar coming in. Didn't quite fill in as well as fast under the nose. So had to cut it back just a little bit, but it's still there. It's still there. It is there. I'm not giving up on it. Confirming to the listeners, it is still there. What is Another still great there? advertisement for our YouTube channel. So make sure you're checking us out on there. Uh, you may still not be able to see the, the mustache two weeks in. It, I can barely tell, but... Uh, we have high hopes for it as the season progresses. Uh, progresses because Tyler, I don't think you can shave it. You know, as long as OU's winning, I think that should be that should be the bet, right? We'll just keep this thing going. Hopefully, we don't have to trim it all the way until the uh, second or third week in January. So it should be should be very full, very high volume. If it comes down to that. Speaking of bets, just curious where my trophy is. Wow, we are we are fifty three days we're out from the twenty two. Season starting on still doesn't have a trophy. No, the still doesn't have a trophy. Not even, it's been so long the guns can't blaze. I, I'm actually it's it's probably a good thing that I haven't sent it because you have moved since the last I time. Have, so I have moved. Okay, so it's the same address. Okay, I may same or may address. not have it in my eyesight right now. Um, <laughs> this is just kind of building momentum for you me know, going into next you week. You know, people are coming over to Tyler's house. These guys like guys. Look, I won the bets competition from last year. It's sitting on my desk. So you know it's real. This is on the entryway table, so for any person that enters the door here at 3518, I'm not going to give out the street, but for any person Please that do. does come in the house, uh, yeah, that's that's the ultimate conversation starter right there. But yes, I will get that out in the mail. I know I've said that a handful of times, uh, but Corbin, <laughs> since you are having a birthday tomorrow, I can't think of a better birthday present than to finally, after six months, get that trophy actually delivered to you. So I'll make a note. We'll head to the UPS store tomorrow. I've heard this before. So I'll believe it when I see it. I look Adam, forward to getting that, that tracking, tracking number from you. <laughs> there it is. There it is. I, I'm going to stay out of this for the time being, um, but it'll be easier, I guess, when I win the competition this year because I live close to you, Tyler. I can come uh, to your house and just take it whenever I want. <laughs> just it, take so. it. You're, just, you're just banking on it never comes to me then, Adam, right? I No, no way he sends it to you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, speaking of, I guess, some people that are no longer waiting uh, for their prizes, how about Brent Venables and his staff with a huge recruiting weekend? Mm-hmm. Uh, we did have a tweet where we kind of outlined every single recruit that's happened over the last two weeks. Um, you know, a couple three stars mixed in, but uh, several of those big time four stars that we were really looking for, Caden Green, um, Jaquez Petaway, or, or I hear a lot of people call him J- Jaquez P- uh, Petaway, which is how you there say you my go. name. So I'm hoping that we have a player that somehow lets people know how to say my last name. Uh, you've got Sam Omasigo, who's rated four star, I think, in everything but rivals. Uh, and then PJ Adebore, who I'm going to commit right now to saying his name 17 different ways. Uh, between now and the time that he steps foot in Norman, but uh, some big time recruits. And it feels like 
in a way, the drought is over, I guess. <clears throat> yeah, it kind of feels like PJ um, Adebaware. That's kind of the 2022's version of DJ Uyangalale. But no, you're exactly right, Adam. Uh, seven commitments in the last 14 days for Oklahoma. You know, we've we've talked about it time and time again over the last, I guess, over the last couple of months. You know, it's kind of been highlighted OU's lack of commitments in the recruiting trail for the 2023 cycle uh, because of what you see like Georgia, uh, Texas A&M, Texas with, you know, kind of the arch manning effect um, that's kind of shown itself over the last two to three weeks. But no, uh, Brent Venables has said um, kind of since early spring, you know, be patient. Let's wait till we get a little bit closer towards the end of summertime, get into the month of July. That's when you'll really start to see this class begin to take shape. Um, and like I said, currently the number 11 class in the 247 rankings and eight of the 11 teams ranked ahead of Oklahoma uh, have more than 14 commitments. So Oklahoma is going to continue to climb. And guys, I don't think it's going to surprise me if they climb as high as number seven and number eight before the month of July is over with uh, with who they've got coming up in the next few weeks. So, no, uh, th- th- this has been really good for Brent Venables the, the month of July, and it is far from over from some of the things that's coming down the pipeline. Are we content, guys, with with where the recruiting rankings and just kind of the recruiting status is as a whole? I know every site's going to have a different, uh, you know, star ranking, things like that. But, you know, looking at rivals, we're looking at, what, uh, five, four stars and nine, three stars. Mm-hmm. Not the most uh, star-studded class that we've seen. Um, are we ready just to kind of be like good, be good with where we are? I know that obviously there's some other big guys that are going to be announcing here in the next couple of weeks that, oh, you should feel confident about, but... Mm-hmm. I think I don't think we're used to these kind of ratios. I, I think at this point right now, um, and you know, Parker Thune um, on the ref earlier today, you know, talking to Tyler McComas, you know, he talked about how the two four seven rankings are going to kind of be reshuffled uh, tomorrow. There is going to be some some adjustments with you know where these kids fall in the pecking order. Some kids are going to are going to go from three stars to four stars, four to five. And if there's one thing that we know just by looking at you know some of the commitments that Oklahoma's gotten within the last you know two weeks. Um, you look at a guy like, you know, Phil Pachotti, a uh, linebacker out of Pennsylvania, offensive tackle, Logan Howland, both guys, three stars, but both guys that are very, very close to knocking on four star territory. So if Oklahoma can figure out or if OU is fortunate enough for both of those guys to become four stars, that automatically just bumps you up even higher in terms of not just your overall uh, score with your team ranking, uh, but also with the the uh, individual score of the players within your recruiting class. So. Um, it's, I think at this point right now, I, I feel a lot better than I did this time a month ago, uh, with where Oklahoma is sitting at in the recruiting trail. But, um, guys, it's just going to kind of be one of those things where you have to trust the evaluation of the staff. So even though you are getting more three stars than what we would, you know, like at a place like Oklahoma, you've got to trust Venables, Roof, Fly, Bates, uh, that they, you know, are trusting the evaluation of these recruits coming out of high school and, um, you know, development, that's the biggest thing. You know, it's not what these kids do. It's not how many stars are attached to their name, what they do in high school. But if the coaches see the skill set and they see how that can translate at a place like Oklahoma, once they get on campus, they can coach them up and get them ready to play, uh, you know, at a four, five, five-star level, all-American type status uh, at Oklahoma. And we'll see if they can do that. I'm going to disagree with you a little bit because stars do matter. And the higher the ranked, uh, you know, class there is, the better off that program is going to be. And we've seen that, especially over the last couple of years where, you know, the third ranked class is farther away from the ninth ranked class and the ninth ranked class is from, you know, team number 60 in the standings. So mm-hmm. right now you look at the recruiting standings rivals has OU uh, the lowest out of the three services at number 16. I think on three has them at 13 and two, four, seven has OU at 11. I do expect OU to rise there. And I do expect out of the nine, three stars that OU has 
probably at least two of them to get up to a four-star status. I'm not holding my breath on any of the four stars becoming a five star. I think Jackson Arnold has your, your best shot at that just because he's really surging. But some of these other guys, like, uh, I don't know. And, and frankly, I'm okay with that. Like a high four star to me is just about as good as a five star um, in, in my book. And we've got a couple of those guys. But I kind of think at this point, looking at past history and looking at some of those top classes that have been put together in previous years, this is kind of the limit of three stars. Some of these guys have to move up and everybody going forward, in my opinion, still needs to be four stars. I, I I don't think that there's much more room for me to say, hey, let's bring on this guy that's kind of an athlete, that's kind of late to the game, that hasn't played as much football, that you know is maybe flying under the radar. Yes, those are good evaluations, but I want established guys because that is the proven method to win a championship. Yeah, are you I'm uh, spot on. Yeah. No, I was just going to ask you guys, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, knowing the track record of Brent Venables and the staff that he's you know assembled here in Norman, are you less disappointed when you see a three-star that's on the defensive side of the, of the ball join the recruiting class when you know that he's going to have the opportunity to get coached up? You trust what Brent Venables, Ted Roof, and those guys see and what he is uh, potentially capable of once he steps foot on campus. So um, are you more forgiving, I guess I should say, uh, with the three-star on the defensive side of the ball compared to offense? that I guess no, because if we are so solid in our belief in Brent Venables, why can't we get bigger recruits? Why aren't they recognizing the same things we recognize as far as development and success on the field? Granted, there's other pieces to that. Like they have to like Oklahoma, they have to be nearby, um, and, and he doesn't have a track record as a head coach at Oklahoma. His track record's pre-2011. So that will grow over time. I think he'll be able to get even better and better defenders, but – um, there's a disconnect there. Uh, the fans can't like it. And then the, you know, the, rec- and the recruits can or vice versa, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this is also how he started off things at Clemson. If I remember correctly, um, his first couple of years, like he had to kind of go find diamonds in the rough and to, uh, coach guys up. You wonder if that's his strategy and let's, let's be honest. If you're thinking about tone setters, you kind of want guys coming in with a chip on their shoulder. They were only a three-star. They weren't necessarily recruited by anybody and everybody. Maybe that's the way he does it. So the the culture begins with guys like that. And then when the more skilled guys come through, they equate to that culture as well. And then obviously, you know, that's – you look at a program like Clemson, what he did there, the culture was a huge thing as far as playing tough, hard-nosed defense. So – uh, obviously, I'm completely spitballing. I have nothing to back up that statement whatsoever. But at least he has a track record of doing this elsewhere, and then the four and five stars follow. Mm-hmm. Well, we, guys, let's not for, let's not forget too that he did this back in the early 2000s here at Oklahoma. So um, it's possible, you know, if he's done it once, he can do it again. And it's just a matter of him being able to. Um, I think that 2023, with there not being any tape. Uh, in terms of what the current team at Oklahoma has been able to do. Once you get, you know, 12, 13, 14 games, recruits can see, you know, the changes that Venables is making. They can see, uh, you know, the the proof is in the pudding. That's when I think you'll start to see 2024 and beyond. You'll start to see more of those high-profile defenders make their way to Norman. I agree, although at the same time, OU is on stronger footing than both OU was in 2000 and Clemson was in 2012. So I do expect more out of the gate faster from, from Venables mm-hmm. OU than at any other previous role. Yeah. Um, a couple weeks ago, we had a pod talking about, it was literally titled three star U. And I think there's still some valid concerns from that pod, but standing here today, two weeks later, 
the class has gone from being ranked in the 40s all the way up to, you know, top 20 class across the board. Were we maybe a little too soon or do you still have concerns about just recruiting in the direction of the program? I don't think we were too soon. I think you can be realistic about where things were at the time and also fully understand that at least on the outside looking in, and now obviously it has come to light, things were supposed to get better and that we had to be patient. But as an entire fan base, I don't think we're very patient as a whole. And so I think, you know, having that discussion and saying like, this sucks right now while we have hope for that it will get better. Recruiting is a crazy game and things could have fallen out. We could have missed out on some of these guys and then we would have been in big trouble. And so I think that's what we probably tried to portray at the time was like, yes, there's hope that this improves, but if it doesn't, you know, obviously they start digging the grave in my opinion. Yeah, I think in terms of this uh, this fan base, you know, I'm guilty of it as well. Lack of patience um, and, you know, seeking that instant gratification. And, you know, I alluded to it earlier in the podcast. You know, you saw what Texas A&M has been doing the last 18 months. You see what Texas is doing uh, when you're a school that's, you know, two, three, four hours just north of that. You know, teams that are in the same conference, same region. You want to be a part of that. You want to be sharing the same success that those two programs, you know, two rivals are, are having. But, um, you know, Venables told us to be patient patience has paid off now here we are in the month of july and like i said adam this is a class that's gone from the top 40 all the way up to number 11 and 247 in just a matter of two to three weeks so um, the sky is not falling in terms of recruiting uh, at oklahoma and like i said it's only going to get better i think that uh, you know oklahoma is on the hook uh, to possibly landing two to three more commitments before the month of july is over and then once you get a little bit closer to you know towards fall camp getting underway, early season, you start to have a few more guys uh, wanting to pull the trigger before they you know start their senior season of, of high school football. So uh, I think that Oklahoma is in a good position right now, and it's only going to get better from here. Do you have any concerns still about NIL? Because I look at this and say, yes, it, it feels good to get some of these higher-ranked guys, but at the same time, we're hearing murmurs, I guess whispers of people that are kind of in the know. They're talking to recruits. They're talking to coaches. And you still hear that OU is not competitive in that space to a lot of the people that they're recruiting against. And maybe mm-hmm. it's taking them out of the running, you know, for guys that we're not even thinking about that could even be on the radar at all because our NIL is just not competitive. And so I wonder if that is shrinking the talent pool that we could be pulling from. I think that NIL um, is and will continue to be a problem for certain recruits uh, that maybe want to prioritize, you know, immediate wealth over, you know, possibly being developed, going to the NFL and, you know, getting that generation type money from a second contract in the NFL. Um, I did have a conversation here pretty recently um, with, you know, a coach in the, you know, the, the high school ranks that, you know, does have four and five star talent on a yearly basis. And he's told him that, you know, he's heard the pitches that Oklahoma makes to these high school kids. Uh, NIL is a part of it with what they're doing here in Oklahoma. I do want to let, you know, fans know that Oklahoma is not, you know, they're, they're not refusing to, you know, to play the NIL game. They are continuing to do so. But I will say that from the pitches that, that he's told me about Oklahoma, while they are involved in the NIL, it is much less of a selling point on why you should come to a place like Oklahoma. You know, Venables has talked about it from the get go. We're not going to be a place where you come here for the money. You come here to play football. You come here to be developed. We'll send you the, to the NFL. So Oklahoma is involved in the NIL game, uh, but they are preaching time and time again that you're coming here for football uh, and we're going to get you the NFL. I love when Lincoln makes an appearance on the podcast because it gives me an opportunity to make fun of Tyler's uh, dog, who is still named Lincoln, and that's just that's just weird. But I, I guess you can't change a dog's name. 
knowing, big fan knowing, of the 16th president. <laughs> knowing Tyler's going to be out next week, maybe we can have a segment of should he have changed his dog's name? Just food for thought for next week. I think that's it's worth yeah. an argument. I, but, we uh, should take suggestions. We should yeah, take suggestions, suggestions yeah. for Tyler's dog. Okay, yeah, I love it. Uh, guys, NIL is always going to be a problem. At a place like Oklahoma, we're not going to be able to compete with a Texas, a Texas A&M, an Oregon, even maybe an Alabama, uh, Miami. We're not. I think the big issue is is why is they why is the gap not shrinking of how big of a problem like that is, right? I don't think we're going to compete at the highest levels. Should it be as big of a problem as it is right now? No, it should be better. Um, I would. I, th- I think we should be in a spot where like, no, Oklahoma is not um, as strong in the NIL front, but it's not that big of a difference compared to schools X, Y, and Z. That's where I feel like we should be. And we're not there. We are like, this is a significant gap between what Oklahoma is doing on the NIL front versus other big name programs. And that's what's going to have to change, not necessarily to beat out those other programs, but can you make that gap small enough where it becomes irrelevant when this team starts winning under Brent Venables? That's got to be the goal and it's not happening. I I think it's going to be very interesting to see. And obviously it's going to take one to two years before I think we can really, you know, kind of see if it's paying off is when you see schools like Miami, uh, Oregon, Texas A&M schools that, you know, are very, very, um, involved in the NIL game, um, throwing, you know, big, big dollar amounts around. If, if they're actually able to turn that into a championship, then I think you, you're really able to start to say, okay, this, you know, this is more than just, you know, getting kids on campus. Like, hey, this is actually turning into a problem where, uh, you know, donors throwing around $30 million for a particular class, bringing them on. Uh, Texas A&M wins a championship. That's when I think you start to see, okay, this is actually a problem. Uh, and if, you know, the NCAA is, is not going to regulate this, then you're going to see places like Oklahoma that don't have the, the donor base or the alumni base to be able to fork up that much money to be able to compete to bring in those higher-end kids uh, and, and pay that much money for them. Adam, you're shaking Everything, your head. Uh, just in regards to the NCAA coming in to fix that, they're not going to do that. I'm not <laughs> not holding my breath. Don't don't make a bet in Vegas on that happening while you're out no. there, Tyler, because it ain't happening from the NCAA. Um, I know everything's sunshine and roses right now. We've got tons of great recruits that are on board. That's awesome. It looks like things are turning well for some future guys as well. But we had been down some roads in previous years with Lincoln Riley's recruiting, whether it was him or maybe it had nothing to do with his style, but we did have guys that either decommitted at the last minute, or we felt like we had in the bag for the longest time. And then um, they flipped on us to to someone else at the Mm -hmm. last minute. Are there any guys, I guess maybe just in the entire class or even just recently here over the last couple of weeks that you are at all concerned about in any way, or do you feel like Brent Venable's method is going to prove that these guys are going to stick to their word and and be committed for the next, I guess, uh, five months until signing day. I, I don't think at this point right now um, you should be worried about anything. Now, if Oklahoma starts out the season, you know, one and two or one and four, uh, and you know they get things off to a bad start on the field, then I think that you could possibly be worried about losing some guys. Uh, but I think at this point right now, you know, if there's Venables has you know kind of told us from the get go this is what his plan is. Um, everything has came true uh, from you know December all the way now to July 12th on what he said he's going to do. So at this point right now, I don't think you can do anything but trust the process and what Venables is preaching, and I think we need to continue to well, do so. Well, maybe I should rephrase this. We we've seen this happen specifically with Missouri with recruits from Missouri. Are you worried at all that NIL could come into more play from Missouri specifically oh, on our Kansas City guys? Okay, absolutely. 
I mean, yeah. uh, 100%. And not just for, you know, Kansas City guys, but, you know, it, all across the country. I mean, if a recruit wants to go to Missouri over Oklahoma, then <laughs> go. Like, yeah. you're going to go make your money yeah, I mean, and then you're literally well, never going to be heard from again. It's, 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 a, it's just, it's found itself true and true again that Missouri is just not a high, not, not for a while anyway, a high product mm-hmm. of putting guys in the NFL. So go get your couple hundred thousand if that's really what you're after and that'll be it. Just look at Luther Burden from last year, committed to Oklahoma at a time, flipped over to Missouri. We all know it was for NIL purposes um, and wanting to be the big guy on campus at Missouri. So we'll see how that plays out. But I, I think, Adam, I think, Adam, going back to what you were saying, I, I think with NIL being what it is right now and, you know, a lot of the programs having the deep pockets, the ability to, you know, fork over X amount of cash, I think that that's always going to be a problem 12 months out of the year uh, when it comes to recruiting. One thing I wanted to get your, your both your thoughts on this whole Jordan Addison USC him not getting his NIL money. I know we don't know anybody in Southern Cal who could like answer these questions, but is this like real? Like they promised him all this NIL money and it's now falling through. Uh, who knows? But like, what is that player's course of action now? Just sit right. out because you can't transfer back to Pitt. I mean, no. I guess you could go to the NC, but. I don't know, but if you go to the NCAA and complain about it and say, I want to go back, then <laughs> that gets messy because he's involved with a pay-for-play situation. So, right. yeah, I awkward. mean, if if that does turn out to be true, I mean, yes, that looks bad on USC's part, but I also think it kind of looks bad on the kids' representation, you know, whether that's family, whether that's an agent, you know, failure to get, uh, you know, documentation signed or anything for, you know, goods that were promised, uh, compensation, what, what was promised. But no, I... <laughs> Uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me the least if it does turn out to be true. We all know who the head football coach is out there. We all know, uh, you know, the sleaze ball that he is. But um, no, it wouldn't surprise me one way or the other. I don't is think it's Lincoln, a big story. Is this Lincoln Riley's first attempt to uh, tear out USC as the head of the Big Ten? Give him a little, give him a little easier out here in a couple years. <laughs> well, he'll be the head coach of the Los Angeles Rams next year when Sean McVay retires. So he's going to retire in his thirties. <laughs> He'll be making more money as a TV commentator than he is right now. That you're, you're right. You're right. Um, a little bit of a follow up there on the topic of Missouri. They've come up second in a couple of different recruiting races recently, and OU pulled two from the Kansas City area, a area that Brent Venables is well uh, well versed in from his times at Kansas State and at OU. And I kind of look at that area as, hey, potentially could if OU could lock down the Kansas City area for the most part and, and anything that they want in Kansas. And of course, got to get your affairs in order back at home. None of the uh, big recruits in Oklahoma are coming to OU this year. I won't say that's a pattern or a trend. I want to see what uh, the 2024 class brings. But if you can lock down the state of Kansas, Oklahoma, and that entire Kansas City area, I think you look at OU as a recruiting um, you know, just a, a lot higher ceiling at that point, kind of like Ohio state does where they say we pick all the good players in Ohio. There's always plenty of four stars there and a couple of five stars. And then we go national from there. And I kind of feel like that's maybe the footprint and, and, uh, or blueprint and uh, model as far as what, Oh, you could go. Do you guys think that's possible or is that just too far out of the realm? Kansas city is too much up for grabs across state lines and so forth. There's no reason it can't be a hub. Um, should it be our number one focus? No, uh, I don't think so. The state to the south of Oklahoma needs to be the number one focus always. Sure. Um, 
and there's not <laughs> enough talent in the state of Oklahoma to do what a Alabama does, an Ohio State does, a Florida does. It's just not there. That's just the nature of the beast of what Oklahoma is. So, yeah, it needs to, to say Southern focused. If you can pick up some nice uh, draws in Kansas City, that's awesome. Um, you know, it's obviously a spot that has, uh, can produce high-end talent. Uh, is it enough to make it your, you know, one of your priority recruiting grounds, top two or three? Mm-hmm. Maybe not. I I, th- I think that Missouri is very comparable to Oklahoma in terms of high school football town. I mean, just looking here on, you know, 247 sports going back over the last three to four years, uh, about a handful, maybe five to six, four stars and above in the entire state. Um, but so like you said, Adam, if, if Oklahoma, if that's an area which it kind of looks like Oklahoma has been able to, you know, kind of get their foot in the door, especially with this 2023 cycle, you know, having two, potentially maybe even three uh, kids from the greater Kansas City area. I mean, why not? I mean, that's a place that, you know, it's it's, you know, three, four five hour drive away. Um, it's a rich football area. Missouri. Uh, has continued to struggle and, you know, uh, they're, they're playing the SEC and also be able to, you know, lock down uh, the state of Missouri in terms of recruiting and funneling them there, there to their school. Um, so, yeah, why can't Oklahoma, just like Ohio State, you know, just like Oregon, Texas A&M has, you know, kind of had their foot in the door uh, in the state of Missouri. So, yeah, why can't Oklahoma be part of that as well? Yeah. Last question on recruiting here before we talk about some other topics. Um, there's a couple of commits that I think people are are expecting to go OU's way. Uh, Dalen Smothers, mm-hmm. the running back out of the Charlotte area, and then Derek LeBlanc, the uh, edge rusher out of Florida. Both of those coming down this month. Um, by the time some people listen to this episode, Smothers might already be committed to OU. But mm-hmm. um, anyone else that's kind of on the horizon that I don't think there's any, really any commitment dates, but who else are you keeping in mind going forward? Yeah, I've kind of got a, kind of got a few guys in mind. Adam, you know, ultimately this this you know first guy is kind of a pipe dream. He's going to be committing on Saturday. Troy Bowles, number two overall, you know, linebacker in the country, uh, did have Oklahoma listed in his top three with Alabama and Georgia. Uh, Brent Venables um, has kind of been the lead recruiter in that. So we'll see if you know Venables can you know pull a rabbit out of his hat and secure that commitment. But um, then I think also once you kind of see what this roster is shaping up right now, I still think that there's some positions in need where, uh, you know, maybe that we, you know, maybe only have one guy committed. Maybe there's there's some some need of depth. And for me, I think that starts in the secondary, particularly the cornerback position. And, you know, just look at today, uh, you know, four star quarterback, you know, cornerback Macari Vickers, six foot one, 180 pounds out of Tallahassee, Florida, the number 80 overall ranked player, according to 247. He announced the top three today of Oklahoma, Alabama and Michigan. Uh, with a commitment timetable sometime in August. So that would be a big get for Jay Valai. Uh, Peyton Bowen, the four-star uh, defensive back out of Denton Geyer, teammate of Jackson Arnold, currently committed to Notre Dame. Can Brandon Hall and Brent Venables get him to flip to the Sooners by the time summer is over? That would be a get for Oklahoma as well. And then, guys, kind of another one um, that, that is going to be very interesting to follow is the front seven on the defensive side of the football. We don't particularly have very much beef up front, particularly on the interior of the defensive line, and I think that's where you're going to start to see guys like uh, a Johnny Bowens, the four-star defensive lineman out of Judson High School in Converse, Texas. OU offered him back on June 29th, the day after he decommitted from Texas A&M. So let's see what te- what uh, Todd Bates can do in that recruitment. And then just looking at you know other guys like Jordan Renaud, four-star defensive lineman out of Tyler Legacy High School in East Texas. 
Uh, and then, guys, one other one to kind of keep an eye on um, is Tosili Akana, the four-star linebacker out of Leahy, Utah. Six foot four, two hundred twenty-five pounds, number sixty overall player in the country. Oklahoma is in the lead for his commitment at the time, from everything that we've heard. And you know, guys, what an unbelievable linebacker core. Uh, group that would be for Venables in his first year. When you look at Pachati, uh, Omosigo, and Akana, if you could get three guys right there to you know fill in for that linebacking uh, recruiting class in 2023, I think that that is a tremendous start for Venables in year one. So yeah, there's probably about five to six guys um, that Oklahoma is somewhat still in the running for, maybe in the top three. It's just a matter of can they close them out. So pretty much everyone is going to be committing to OU. You heard it here first from Tyler. Uh, A bunch of names that I can't pronounce. And so that excites me so much. Um, Tyler, you have a good one on here. A a tweet that came out this morning from Teddy Lehman. And uh, I loved your thoughts here. Go ahead and set that one up. Yeah, so it kind of went viral on social media. um, And this was um, something that Gabe and Teddy were talking about on the Oklahoma Breakdown podcast. And it was kind of all over Twitter today. Uh, Some fan bases kind of had a field day with it. And so I just kind of wanted to ask you guys, and I'll kind of tee it up here, agree or disagree with this statement from Teddy saying that Oklahoma will win a national championship in the next three years. Corbin, go. Disagree. It's not even that close. This is one of the most crimson colored tweets that I've seen in quite some time. I know Teddy loves this guy BV, but like, come on, this, this team is not close to winning a national championship yet. So I, I could be wrong. I would love to be wrong, but I'm not going to be, they're not going to win a national championship in three years. Nope. The path I see to this actually <laughs> happening would have to be Dylan Gabriel returns for a extra year next year, because I don't think the rest of the team is going to be there this year. <laughs> Um, not that Dylan Gabriel is, is championship worthy either. I'm, I'm not convinced of that uh, fact. I think you have to have a difference maker at quarterback, uh, unless you have an all world defense like Georgia did last year. And I just don't see that from OU. So I think there's, there's going to be a lot of moving parts and really even 2020, I guess 2024 would be the most likely year. Um, 2023 would be Dylan Gabriel's second year, but then you're transitioning to a new quarterback. It most likely, unless you say, a true sophomore Jackson Arnold is otherworldly and OU still in the big 12. I don't think mm-hmm. OU wins it first year in the SEC. I, I think when you, when you look at this question, I, I think the answer to this, I believe a lot of it is predicated upon when Oklahoma makes the transition into the SEC. Uh, if it's 2025, I think it's very possible. If it's starting in 2023, I'm going to heavily disagree and be in the same category as you, Corbin. I, it's going to take, I think, Brent Venables two to three recruiting classes to build this roster up to a national championship caliber level team. I know, I know OU, and you know it, it was painful going through this. I know Oklahoma was close in 2017 and 2018, but guys. Those teams had two of the top five offenses in the history of college football with two Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks leading the charge. So while I do think that Dylan Gabriel and Jackson Arnold are going to be really good at Oklahoma, we can't bank on them doing what number six and number one did in their time in Oklahoma. So the supporting cast, particularly on the defensive line and in the secondary, has to get better. The recruits have to be better. The coaching, the development has to be better. We saw BV do it at Clemson. If he can mirror that here in Norman and get it done pretty quickly, then yes, Oklahoma is going to win a national championship. But right now, on July 12th, 2022, with the landscape of college football being what it is, I'm going to have to strongly disagree with this. I guess the 
counterpoint as far as the window to or the the path to a championship is that with Lincoln Riley, we recognized there was plenty of talent across the board. It, it was not developed. The accountability was not there. The intangibles were not there. And uh, and so now we look at that and say, well, the coaching staff is going to bring accountability. The coaching staff is going to bring development. They're going to simplify you know, some of the schemes on offense that were just clearly overthinking everything. Um, so maybe it unlocks you know, some talent on the roster that we aren't expecting or we aren't expecting them to, to have that ceiling that might be totally raised with a new coaching staff. That's the only path that I could really see uh, to getting a championship over the next three years, in my opinion. Yep. Uh, another one here, uh, bullet point that we had on there, this made Tyler's head absolutely <laughs> explode was uh, about a week ago. <laughs> Spencer Sanders, uh, Tyler's favorite quarterback of all time, was named preseason first team, all Big 12. Tyler, here is your soapbox. Go ahead and jump on there and, and let us know what you think of that. I actually don't have a huge problem with it, with the preseason, him being voted number one. I mean, he was the former All-Big 12 quarterback a year ago. Um, why he was named that, I have no idea. I would have probably taken two or three guys ahead of him last year. But, uh, guys, I, I think that him being named first-team All-Big 12 quarterback to get things going. Two, two to two to three, not not four or five, Adam. Two to three. You see, uh, things have changed drastically since last time we spoke about Spencer Sanders. He's, he's not a, a top five Big 12 quarterback. That's changed because now it's only let, let, take two to three can guys I finish? over him. Can I finish? Let me finish on this. I think that Spencer Sanders being named the preseason first-team quarterback just kind of highlights the uncertainty going into this season within the Big 12 conference. There's been so much roster turnover, particularly at the quarterback position. And, guys, if we're being honest, outside of Dylan Gabriel, who I – I, I don't think you can plug him in there immediately to you know QB1 just specifically because he played at UCF. He hasn't played in Power 5 football. Yes, he threw for over 8,000 yards in two seasons, but I've still got to see it translate to this higher competition level of football. But then you just go down the list. Blake Shapin at Baylor, he's played two games. Uh, you know, Quinn Ewers at Texas hasn't thrown a, hasn't played a meaningful down in uh, football in almost two years. Adrian Martinez at Kansas State, I can't get behind that. So... I mean, at this point right now, based off of last year's performances, him being a returning starter uh, at Oklahoma State, I don't see any problem with it. I can't, I can't justify anybody else being put ahead of him at this point right now. Who do you think you're going to like more at the end of the year, Adrian Martinez or Spencer Sanders? I think that Spencer Sanders is going to have to play his position completely different this year for Oklahoma State to be successful. You know, last season he was able to kind of – his deficiencies, he was able to be a little bit more conservative because he had such a good defense in Stillwater because he was able to rely on them being able to, you know, get the football back to him, being able to pound the ball running-wise. Uh, I think Spencer Sanders, Mike Gunny's going to have to be more aggressive this year offensively. He's not going to be able to rely on his defense like he did a season ago. Uh, I think that Sanders is going to have to, you know, be forced to make some plays. And Oklahoma State's got some tough road games. Uh, this year, and we know that Spencer Sanders has struggled a little bit on the road. So, um, Adrian Martinez, I if he doesn't turn the football over like he did at Kansas or like he did at Nebraska, I, I think that he has a chance to be extremely successful uh, in Manhattan. But at this point, right now, I don't, I don't, I still don't see how you could put anybody ranked ahead of Sanders at this moment in time. Do I think he'll finish the season QB one? No, no chance. I can't believe I agree with you on that necessarily, Tyler. Uh, maybe we should just end the pod. Wow. How, can you say no chance? Wow. how can you how can you say no chance when you just did it last year? I I wouldn't agree with the no chance part, but I mean, 
You're saying he has, I, and I think you're correctly saying he will have to change the way he plays and produce more for Oklahoma what was, State. What was Oklahoma State's ammo last year as a team? It was Defense run the football. Running. I'm not and disagreeing play. with you, but you could also, you, I think everybody would also agree that the Big 12 quarterback play was, was better heading into, at least what we envisioned it, was better heading into last season than what we view it as this season, right? So he would have had more competition if we were standing, sitting in this same spot, same time last gonna, year than he does this year. I'm going to wear my crimson colored glasses. Now, I know that Caleb Williams didn't enter the fold until Texas. Who was the better quarterback last year, Caleb Williams or Spencer Sanders? Depends on the game. Dude. Yeah, Caleb Williams had some rough No. Games. Caleb almost lost to Kansas. Baylor. You're playing a game Maybe tomorrow. Against Kansas. All things are equal. Who's playing quarterback, I'm not, Caleb? I'm not saying that Caleb doesn't have the higher, higher ceiling and is probably the better player, but if you're asking about the results on the field, it does depend on the game. Yeah. That's the all I'm saying. The results on the field matter. I, Spencer Sanders was basically the same in his third year as he was in the first two years. And that's something we looked at last offseason. He did play in two more games. He had 150 more passing attempts, but for the most part, relatively the same. So it makes and you really was, doubt that he's going to be able to change much. Now, there's a good point. Like last year, we thought Spencer uh, Radler was going to be good. We thought, um, you know, Iowa State had a good quarterback. We thought uh, a lot of teams had, had solid options at QB, and most of them disappointed, and that allowed Spencer Sanders to rise up. Now you have the opposite of who knows what you're going to get out of a yeah. JT Daniels or who's even starting at TCU or Texas Tech. Is Quinn Ewers the real deal? Like nobody and- knows. So, Spencer Sanders is going to have a, a strong lead for that first team spot going into the season. And I can't believe I'm even about to say this, but I guess the best way to sum this up is that in terms of a proven commodity going into the 2022 season, Spencer Sanders is the most proven at the power five level compared to the other four quarterbacks that I listed. So I can, I can see why it's just, I can see that it's justifiable in putting him at the preseason QB one. It doesn't matter at all, but I, I don't have a problem with it. The rest of the all big 12 conference team only featured one sooner, which was Michael Turk. I think that's kind of been talked at length that, yeah, everyone kind of agrees. Like there's, there's really no guy that has proven himself enough to, uh, to show that they should have been on the team, but we all expect a Mm -hmm. lot of guys to be on the team at the end of the year. Who are you guys looking at as far as, you know, the, the most likely to be on that team at the end of the season? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's pretty obvious, you know, just off the top of my head, and I don't want to dive too much into this because, like you said, it has been talked about. Uh, Marvin Mims, Woody Washington, uh, I think Danny Stutzman has an opportunity to maybe you know slide into that you know top eleven group. Uh, Dylan Gabriel, you know, if if he performs in this system with Jeff Levy like he did at UCF, and you know you see the production, OU goes on to win a Big Twelve championship. Yeah, Dylan Gabriel, I think is QB one at the going into December. Uh, but then maybe also look at a guy like Jalen Redmond, um, who, you know, hasn't been able to stay healthy uh, during his time in Oklahoma. You know, it's been well documented, you know, the kind of the medical hardships he's had to overcome. Uh, but in terms of the talent level, uh, you know, uh, I think that Jalen Redmond uh, has an opportunity to maybe slide into that first team all defense uh, here in Norman. Would you guys agree that the offensive side of the ball for the Sooners team has better opportunities to make it into that first, second, third team in the defense. Because I think similar to what we just discussed, I think there's more certainties in the Big 12 about the defensive side of the ball than there is the offense. Are you guys in agreement there? I almost would say that if OU comes out and puts up good team statistic numbers defensively, people will be inclined to uh, just say, hey, you know, who from Brent Venables can I, you know, defense can I add to this team? 
um, because he does carry a lot of weight as you know one of the foremost uh, defensive minds out there. So I could certainly see that come into play. Um, and then I think a key example of that might be like a key Lawrence, for example, there's five defensive backs on the all big 12 team. So certainly room for a guy to slide in. And he's a guy that has immense potential. And even in Alex Grinch's system, he was able to make a big impact. There were a lot of guys that we kind of felt were, were held back, but uh, his, his presence was felt in the second half of last year. So I hope, uh, hope to see some big things out of him this year. I think that there's a lot of opportunity on the offensive side of the football, maybe outside of the running back position. I think that it's probably pretty obvious um, who's going to be, you know, first team all all big 12 running back when you've got, you know, B. John Robinson returning, Deuce Vaughn at K-State returning. So uh, if those guys stay healthy and, you know, are able to continue the production that they had from a year ago, then, yeah, I think that, you know, running back might be a pipe dream uh, for for Oklahoma. But offensive line-wise, Dylan Gabriel, a quarterback, uh, Marvin Mims, um, if he kind of returns to his old ways and, you know, offensive coordinator actually utilizes him properly and gets the ball to their best receiver, then, yeah, I could see Marvin Mims sliding into that first team all week 12. But there's there's a ton of guys on offense at, at skill player positions um, that Oklahoma is going to be battling for and trying to get into that first team. Last question here before we jump into our Mount Rushmore sec- uh, segment. Baylor was picked as the uh, preseason favorite to win the Big 12 uh, so I'm curious, you know, what your guys' feelings are. I'm well on the record that I like the field in pretty much any situation against OU just because I think it's so hard for other teams that don't have the recruiting talent to to get back there. But do you think Baylor comes into Norman on Saturday, November 5th, undefeated? And I'll just read off their schedule real quickly. Uh, non-conference, they get an FCS team to opener uh, in opener. Then they're at BYU in week two, Texas State at home, at Iowa State, Oklahoma State in Waco. West Virginia in Morgantown, Kansas at home, Texas Tech on the road before they come to Norman. Do you think that the Bears are undefeated going through that schedule? Uh, I'm going to sell no. that. Yeah, those where, are where that's, you think four, that that's four really tough road games. I mean, you think of just the Big 12 slate, Iowa State really tough to play, Morgantown really tough to play. Um, and then you look at, at BYU, which is probably the hardest of all three to play at. <laughs> You got to at least lose one there. I'm even going to say that at Texas Tech the week before traveling to Norman, that might be a trap game, kind of a look ahead yep. game uh, that Dave Aranda could find his team in. But I, I, I'd have to go back and look. I can't remember the last time the Baylor started out seven and zero. But you know, you mentioned four really tough road games. You know, even having having to host Oklahoma State in Waco uh, with first team quarterback Spencer Sanders. Yeah, that's a tough draw for for the Bears coming out of the gate. How does that get lined up? Where you go at? At Iowa State, at West Virginia, at Tech, at Oklahoma, and at Texas. I mean, the home slate the following year is awesome, but good lord, that's tough, <laughs> tough road slate. Yeah, it, it Baylor this year feels so much like Iowa State last year, where everybody's in love with the coach and nobody can really name too many players on the team. Well, I guess that's different. Iowa State had a, a trio or a, mm-hmm. you know on each side of the ball that was really good, but. Blake Shapin is a quarterback that was good when he came out there, but I mean, I've seen Trevor Lawrence be good or not Trevor Lawrence, <laughs> Trevor Knight uh, be really good in a bowl game and uh, come back and be an absolute dud the next year. So I think he's still got a lot to prove. You do love what they come back with from an offensive line perspective, but skill positions, it's totally new guys out there. So I just don't have It'll- faith in Baylor to be able to reload as well as other teams. And I think it'll be really interesting to see what Baylor can do because 
what did we see so often from Matt Campbell's Iowa State teams? When expectations were low, when the light wasn't shined on them, they were able to kind of fly under the radar, sneak their way into a nine-win season, sneak their way into a Big 12 championship. Baylor's not going to be flying under the radar this year. Not with Blake Shapin coming back, not with Dave Aranda, the reigning Big 12 champions. You mentioned the road slate that this team is going to have to you know, navigate their way throughout the regular season. So can Baylor, with the expectations of being the preseason number one team in the Big 12 championship, um, yes, they're going to be loaded on the offense and defensive side of the ball in the trenches, but can they replace the skill talent, uh, particularly at the running back and the receiver position? So I'm going to sell that they come into Norman uh, at a perfect 7-0. and um, I hope they do. It's going to make for a great home atmosphere here in Norman. Yeah, what they got to be at least top five if they come in 7-0. and Yeah. Part of me or- wants that to happen for my resale value on my tickets. And part of me says no way, because as of right now, I am stuck going to a wedding that day on the other side of the country. So pray for me and pray for uh, no more fall weddings. Uh, that should be banned uh, nationwide. When you say other side of the country, how do you mean that when you live in Oklahoma? Uh, Virginia, I guess that's not, <laughs> not the side. I'm, I don't know how to say that uh, from the middle to the outside. I don't know. Um, but, uh, Sound that brings us to, sick. <laughs> yeah, speaking of Trevor us, Knight. Yeah. Our Mount Rushmore oh. and Trevor Knight is on the board here. So, uh, if you missed last week, go check it out. We drafted all the running backs, uh, from 2000 on for our Mount Rushmore. Basically we're just going through each of the position groups. I don't know what we'll do defensively. We'll, we'll discuss that when we get there, but, uh, constructing, you know, our, our top position groups, and so Tyler went first last week, uh, and then we'll just rotate around. So I am going first this week. Corbin will get first pick in uh, week three, which I assume will be receivers. But um, we'll kick it off with quarterbacks. And I was surprised at how many different options there were here because we're each going to draft four of them. And it is tough. And I may be upsetting some people with my first pick, but I got to go with Kyler Murray. Um, he yep. stat-wise was – Phenomenal. Better than Baker Mayfield. Success on the field, I guess you could say Baker had more long-term success, but man, if Murray was around for any longer, you have to think that he would have done just as well as Baker. He's not the same, you know, media figure. He doesn't love the university unconditionally like Baker Mayfield does, but the results on the field were just simply better than Baker. Um, So I have to go with that. I'll take Baker. Stop it. Not your turn. (laughs) (laughs) I will take Baker uh, for all the reasons Adam just said, uh, just kind of in a reverse way. If it, Kyler is my number one. So I was just going to express the same sentiment as Adam. Yeah. If I'm starting a team tomorrow, you know, six is the most beloved sooner in Oklahoma football history, but yeah, I'm taking Kyler Murray. Um, Dang. So real shocker. This this is an easy one for you, right, Tyler? It, it's gotta be, um, Take number three for me since I'm going back to back here. I'm taking Sam Bradford, 2008 Heisman Trophy winner, you know, one of the most decorated passers, particularly accuracy in OU football history. So I'm taking Sammy B with my first pick. And then here, here's where it gets, I think this, this is, is where it starts to get fun. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, because in terms of this, do I want to value individual accolades? Do I want to do team accolades? I think you could go a couple different ways here. Um, but I think I'm going to go with, with the other Heisman Trophy winner at the quarterback position. I think I'm going to go Jason White here, 2003 Heisman Trophy winner. Um, 
I almost kind of shied away from him just because he was 0 for 2 in national championship games. But in terms of, you know, the talent at the position, I can't bet it. I can't go against a Heisman Trophy winner, a guy that has a statue uh, on campus. So I'm going to go Jason White at pick number two. Can't believe I'm having to talk myself into picking a Heisman Trophy winner to be on my Mountain <laughs> Rushmore. Interesting. Um, there's so many ways to go. I'm going to go Landry Jones, number two. Um, it, a guy who maybe didn't have the, oh, trophies to back his name, but you talk about a guy who was just filled up a stat book. Um, well, you know what I mean, Tyler, are we really basing it off of anything but national championships? That's the standard run here, right? So, sure. so he didn't have a Heisman, never won a national championship, but like a guy who could sling the ball all over the field and, um, yeah, Landry Jones, number two pick for me. Nice. That was surprising. Uh, I think that leaves a guy that I was really hoping you weren't going to pick, which is Jalen Hurts, a guy that I dogged on when he was at OU. I wasn't the biggest fan before he got there, and I wasn't the biggest fan during the season. I think there was definitely deficiencies that held the team back, but he did take this team to the playoffs, and his stats are pretty incredible. 3,800 yards passing, 32 touchdowns, almost 1,300 yards rushing, far and away the best stats of – uh, running the ball and passing the ball uh, of his career. In fact, 20 touchdowns on the ground. Uh, finished second in the Heisman voting. Is still in the NFL uh, making, a, making a living there. It's something that I didn't think he was going to necessarily excel at. And maybe culturally he wasn't the best fit at OU, but man, he, he was really, really good in that season. Um, he just happened to follow up the two best players ever at OU. So uh, hard, to, hard to compare there. For my next pick... Um, big red. This is where it, <laughs> big red. This is where it gets He's on my list. It gets tough again. I think, and I kind of feel. Mm, I think it's obvious. I feel I feel too dirty doing that. I'm going to go with uh, Josh Heupel. Yeah, and there you go. It, to me, you know, you look at him and Landry Jones, and the difference here is that. Josh Heupel didn't have the greatest stats, but he did have the team accomplishments. And Landry has tons of stats, but they almost feel empty with no real notable accomplishment other than a few Big 12 yep. titles. I, I had That's Josh Heupel ranked over Landry Jones. I mean, like you said, Adam, you know, Landry, you know, he, he kind of gets, I, I hate to say it, but he kind of gets a bad rap amongst OU fans where he's, you know, he's just the career leader in passing yards, passing touchdowns, completions, has three Big 12 championships, no big deal. But, yeah, he kind of gets a bad rap in terms of the OU greats at the quarterback position. Yeah. No real, like, m- memorable moment of, like, this is the Landry Jones career, like, game or moment. At West Virginia, maybe, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't do it for me. All, the, the most memorable uh, – I don't know. The Nebraska game was pretty memorable. Big 12 Big championship. championship. Yeah. Oh, um, I thought you meant no nine when he was awful. <laughs> no, no, uh, no. I do remember. And I would have been, I think I was at the game. I don't remember what year this was. It was 09, but, uh, I don't know. It was, he had worked on his footwork all off season and we were playing like Florida Atlantic or something like that. And he like he tries to escape the pocket and like turn basically almost says like a three sixty right into a defender, and that was his like it was like okay maybe don't work on your footwork just like stay there. Oh, uh, so he, he's on your team, so maybe you can work. With he him is. I, I can't <laughs> deny it. Um, but I'll take that arm, man. I mean, <laughs> dude was a uh, 
yeah. But anyway, moving on. Pick number three, uh, Nate Hibble for me uh, is going to be pick number three. So uh, a guy who maybe is flying a little bit under the radar. Um, when you look at his stats, they're all pretty solid. So I'm going to go Nate Hibble here. I did not see that one coming at that position. I had him, I had him on my list. I have yeah, him on here yeah. too. I just didn't see him that high. Yeah, Landry <laughs> Jones's legs, highly underrated. Highly underrated. <laughs> Let's see here. Okay, so last two picks for me. Good Lord, how do I want to do this? I, I guess I'm going to have to throw this guy on here. Not the greatest career, but he did have one of the all-time greatest performances in a bowl game going back to that 2012 Sugar Bowl against Alabama. Uh, so I'm going to go with Trevor Knight uh, for pick number three here. And then Snake Draft. One quick note on Trevor Knight that I noticed when I was doing research. His year at AM was actually pretty good. Like by far and away his best career year. Yeah. And I kind of flew under the radar just because we stopped paying close attention to him. But he was pretty solid there. Especially for AM standards at the quarterback position. Yeah, definitely. Let's see here. Right, who's your last uh, pick, Tyler? I got, two, I, I got two more guys on my board here. I can't believe this guy's going on a Mount Rushmore. He's a much better tight end than he was a quarterback, but he was still a really good quarterback in college at Oklahoma. I'm going to go with the I'm going to go with the Belldozer, uh, Blake Bell, uh, to round out the top four here for my Mount Rushmore. So yeah, give me the Belldozer, Kansas City Chief, tight end, Super Bowl to make the top top four quarterbacks in all my Mount Rushmore for OU in the 2000s. Two guys Blake, I had way lower. Blake Bell is really Landry Jones' legs. <laughs> I mean, the dude came in anytime we needed to run the he ball. Had some, he had some really good performances, though. I mean, that OU Texas yeah. game where he had, I think it was what, four rushing touchdowns? Bad, or against Notre Dame. Like, he, was, yeah. he was good in several situations. Absolutely. In both Bedlam games, he was pretty good, actually. Yeah. I think he threw like six touchdowns against Tulsa once. So, yeah. Yeah. He All right. Back to me. Um, I'm actually going to, for my last pick, I'm actually going to go the Caleb Williams route. Uh, I know a lot of fans may not love that. But, man, the dude was fun to watch at times. Uh, ugly to watch at times as well, as you'd expect from a true freshman. But if he would have stuck around, it's it's hard not to like be excited about what he could have been. Even if even if Riley still left, if he had the the reins under him with Coach Levy uh, running the place, I think he would still put up huge numbers and be very successful here. So uh, I have other names on the list, but Kayla's my highest one uh, left. I was close to picking Caleb Williams Traitor. instead of Josh Heupel, but it felt too Traitor. dirty to do that. So. Oh, you! I would have kicked you off the podcast. <laughs> well, I just feel like I, it, it's the one thing of two. Like, do you pick the guy that's career is finished or the guy that still has some potential left? Like, right. I don't like you're comparing also, a guy that won a national championship versus a guy that played eight games and then bailed. I was. I don't know. I don't know. Move yeah, on. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the story's still not finished there. That same I guy guess. you wanted to pick above Spencer Sanders, so <laughs> yeah. But then he entered uh, the transfer portal. He's dead to me. <laughs> All right. All right well, we go. I'm picking another guy that's dead to you, Tyler. I'm picking Spencer Rattler here with my final pick. That's we're actually surprisingly good. Um, 4,500 yards passing, 40 touchdowns, nine touchdowns on the ground. He had almost a four to one ratio of touchdowns to interceptions. He, he did fumble the ball a lot. And some of his interceptions were really, really stupid. Um, and he did get replaced, but I, there's just slim pickings uh, going forward. I think there's one other guy, one or two other guys that started a full year. I'm I'm not so, going to knock the guy. I'm cheering for him at South Carolina. Hope yeah, really same. I, I hope he figures it out. Take him over Rhett Bomar. I wouldn't. His, 
I mean, he his career at OU was team. his career at OU was better than Bomar. That has I mean, to do with what happened on the field. If you compare freshman years, I mean, Bomar was just not as good as Radler. Uh, it, it's a different era. It's hard to compare the styles of offense and everything. And that was Spencer's better year. Yeah. So Paul Thompson. Um, that's tough. Anybody have him on there? I had him on the list. Yeah. He, he was my number thirteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Paul championship. Yeah. And the thing about him is he had Adrian Peterson, so he was not having to really shoulder much of that. No pun intended. Sorry, Adrian. <laughs> not shoulder much of that oh load until God. that Iowa State game. But um, yeah, it, it got interesting. My top 12 was exactly our top 12. Um, mm-hmm. And so I guess honorable mentions wise, there's a ton of backups there. But besides Paul Thompson and Rhett Bomar, anybody else on your guys mm-hmm. list that you even no. considered at all? I had Tanner Thompson Schaefer. above Knight, Bell, and Rattler, though. Yeah, okay. I didn't have I didn't have Caleb Williams or Spencer Rattler on my list, just for mm, obvious okay. reasons that I've stated. Tell I had a yes. I had I a whole bunch Knight, of I've got Trevor Knight, Blake Bell on my list. <laughs> I had a whole bunch of career backup type guys that were on my list as well. All the familiar names: Tanner Mordecai and Chandler Morris. That's some interesting ones that uh, you know still have more career to do at uh, other schools. I had Keith Nickel on there. He went to Michigan State, became a wide receiver, and was Joey Halsley. I did not have Joey Halsley on the list, but I did have Tommy Grady, three times AFL MVP in the Arena Football League. So he went off and did some good things, even though he transferred to Utah and was really didn't do anything for them. So who who came in uh, against Texas Tech a few years? Halsley, I think. Yeah, Joey Halsley, or no, it was Cody Thomas. I thought it was Cody Thomas. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that was a game where they put him in and then they handed the ball to P. Ryan three straight times. Yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah. did come in for Sam Bradford against Texas Tech. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this was a good episode, guys. Like I said, we're, what, 53 days away from, from kicking off the uh, 2022 version of the Oklahoma football season, Burnt Venables inaugural year. Uh, but, yeah, guys, if you made it this far, um, give us a follow on Twitter at the Mainline Pod. Also, on all your various platforms. Uh, that you listen to your podcast. Uh, give us a follow, like, and subscribe. Give us a five-star review. We are getting closer and closer to football season. The content is going to be continued to, to be poured out. Uh, and like I said, it's it's almost that time. J- uh, July 12th, we're getting closer and closer to the start of football season. Media Days kicks off tomorrow. Fall camp gets underway in just a couple weeks, and we appreciate you guys for listening. And we will be back next week with a brand-new episode of the Mainline Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>